This podcast is a production of Athlete Plus, the people, stories, and science behind elite athletes and teams. Athlete Plus is the official podcast network of the Institute for Coaching Excellence, a research, education, and outreach center in the College of Health and Human Performance at the University of Florida. Today we have another great episode of the podcast, The Art and Science of Developing Athletes. I sat down with Kevin Carr, CEO and founder of pro to ceo a Tampa-based athlete development company specializing in developing entrepreneurship skills and helping athletes transition into the business world when they leave their sports careers. Today we discuss trends in athlete development. In the year 2022, a lot has happened in sports over the last several years and a lot is about to happen in our forecasting in the space of athlete development. And the discussion with Mr. Carr today focused on this and what we might expect here in 2022 and in the future. I really enjoyed this conversation with him. I think you will as well. All right, welcome back. Uh, today I'm uh, honored to be joined by one of my good friends in athlete development, uh, helped us launch our program here many years ago as, as a, a subject matter expert and essentially a faculty member in our first few courses in athlete development. I think at the time you were Mr. Transition, I think you were going by, but at the time I met Kevin was just coming out of, uh, I was at a PADS conference and uh, where you were getting out of the MBA time. So I'd love to hear a little bit more background here in a minute. And you were starting, a, you launched your own company, Pro to CEO, which we're, mm-hmm. we're going to talk a lot about today. And Kevin's always had a pulse on what is uh, coming, what is, and is really effective at navigating the past and just understanding kind of the big picture in athlete development and truly is one of the pioneers. I know when I got engaged in the PADS movement, the athlete development movement, Kevin was, uh, is often mentioned as one of the, there was a Mount Rushmore of athlete development. (laughs) Kevin would be on it. This is one of the, the founding fathers of our discipline and has continued to innovate and re- reinvent himself. So, uh, Kevin, thanks for coming, visiting campus. We're doing this podcast style today, but thanks for being here and uh, look forward to uh, digging a little deeper into some trends that you're seeing in athlete development. And ideally, we bring you back every year mm-hmm. as there's a lot of change in the last since in this COVID the post COVID era has, has evolved a lot and it's going to continue to evolve. I think a year from now, if we sit down again around this time, we'll be talking about very different things. So I'm appreciate you being here. Absolutely. Thank can you. you uh, can you share a little bit me. about your background? Um, we'll provide a bio, but I, I, you have a really interesting. History. Yeah. My um, background, really the brand that I do today is transition, but it's really, if I go back, my upbringing was very transitional, single parent raised. My brother was huge um, athlete, watched him really do well enough to get a, recruited by a top uh, power five schools, went to college. Within two years, he's back home and it really shook our family and it took us a while to help him get back. And that was my first sort of non-formal player development, athlete development in my own home. Mm-hmm. It stuck with me so much. I went to college um, and went to study how do I help people and end up getting a bachelor's and master's human resource development. No sports management at the mm-hmm. time. Mm-hmm. These kinesiology programs yeah. were pretty much it. And then I ended up 
sort of customizing my own way into athletics as a athletic academic advisor. So I started out just advising golf, tennis, track, and started the first life skills program, first 41 schools ever. So when you'd say wow. beginnings, Man. beginnings, yeah, when the NCA said, hey, we're going to do more to develop athletes. Um, the I was, champ life skills? The movement? champs yeah, life yeah, skills okay, were okay. one of the 41 schools that launched that. Okay, and it was really epic at the time because no one had the team or the bench. So you had to be a counselor slash life skills person slash right. community person. Right. And um, I enjoyed that. Um, those opportunities allowed me to sort of begin. Um, how do I create programming that makes sense, that really speaks to the holistic side of athletes? And from there, I was able to become a little bit more of my first entrepreneur Opportunity was with a company that, again, helped people. It was called Inroads. Their mission was develop and place talented minorities in business and industry. And I was the director of training development. So my job was really to prepare young people to go into corporate America and okay. compete, again, in a business sense. But still, how do you transition your skills? And that went well. Got recruited by Michigan State. Got to work with legendary Hall of Fame, I think future coaches, Tom Izzo and Nick Saban and built the um, Claire Bell Smith Academic Center for student athletes. And it was a very holistic experience. Got to direct that program like at Michigan, at Florida State. Michigan State didn't have a program. One of the last schools actually oh, at the wow. time to not have an NCA by that time mandated them. They were coming out of probation and um I was able to come in and do that. And then the NBA, what can I say? Yeah. Got to start the um, development league and work on the NBA side for 14 seasons. 14 years. As the, the um, so you had your New York Manhattan experience and survived. Yes, and I did. So that's a quick, quick window for a little bit of my um, career. But you can go back at any point. We'll pick up yeah, uh, sure. from there. Yeah, great. And then since, so, so let's pivot to where you're doing now. Why we're so interested in talking to you on a regular basis because you're, you're overseeing a company um, uh, uh, called Proto CEO. It's uh, something our students are familiar with because we, we expose it um, in the athlete development discipline modules and things. So, but um, tell us a little bit about how you started that and yeah. you left the NBA and, and what's evolved into. And then we'll, I'd like to look, and then we'll start going in a little bit deeper into pro sports, college sports. Sure. Um, that really formed when I was at the league over the 14 seasons, I kept getting this narrative when athletes left, they would crash and burn people expected and that's a very harsh word but literally they didn't expect for them to do well when they left they expected them to kind of have a rocky downward spiral i didn't like that connotation mm -hmm. and i had worked in the profession for so long i wanted to change that so pro to ceo really is constructed to work on transition is the mission is what i say mm -hmm. fondly and it's preparing you for what's next with success so it's all about strategic transition for people, athletes in particular, and organizational transformation. Again, the transitional adage is very much what we do. We've been able to do it at the pro level um, quite succinctly and also working with individual athletes who are now leaving the pros, going into business and industry. That's been one of our focuses. But then as you get out here, people start seeing and hearing your work. You start doing 
opportunities to develop the whole industry. So we've been able to go upstream a little bit mm-hmm. with college and even amateur as far as like AAU. So it's been very interesting going the gamut from like retired pro to pro to college and now even earlier we're seeing. So some a lot of things are happening right. for us and we're yeah. real pleased to sort of be in this space, seven years old, going on eight now. Wow, nice. And evolving still to the state you have to, right? If you're going to be in the entrepreneurship space, a lot of students that study athlete development, I think aspire to be in that entrepreneurship space. So we appreciate those, those insights. Oh, you know, you can work for a league, you can work for a team, but you can work with teams and with leagues as an outside third party. Absolutely. A lot of times you have way more, a few more degrees of freedom when you're doing that as you know, you're doing some consulting now with some college yep. program. Maybe we'll hear about that. Mm-hmm. So let's segue into trends. Sure. So here we are, 2022, coming out of uh, a, a pandemic once in a lifetime thing for us uh, it was scary it was shocking it was i mean it was transformational to the sport industry to all of our lives and mm-hmm. every aspect of our life we're getting back to some normalcy at least in the united states maybe not to the global listeners just yet but in 2022 um trends in pro sports so pro sports has evolved a lot in my perspective looking more mm-hmm. as an outsider because i don't work a lot with pro athletes or pro franchises but it's evolved quite a bit, uh, especially around the summer of 2020. Mm-hmm. We had the bubbles and, the, you know, and the protection of athletes and just the risk they took and coaching's evolved a lot. We're seeing a lot of these hardcore coaches getting washed out of the system finally and more athlete centered coaches being mm-hmm. the norm and the expectation. So a lot of, a lot has changed and it, it, COVID didn't cause it, but it was a catalyst. Things, a lot of these things were shifting slowly and it just moved them forward in my opinion. Um, so anyway, what, if I had to ask you two, three major, some trends you're seeing in professional sports right now in athlete development, what would, what would you, I would say definitely, um, the concern around health and the degree in which the protocols have now really been put on organizations to maintain a health centered, uh, focus in everything they do from the time you enter a system you know, the pretest and the outcomes. And then as you go through it, we um, are seeing more and more that the institutions are being held accountable from the federal and state levels and NCAs, et cetera. If you're at the college and the pro leagues, they all have their own systems. And that piece has really, really been epic. And I, I would liken it to a, a phrase that we began to work as a company called the quad crisis. And the quad crisis, which I think impacts sports, um, just like every um, part of you know our our country is, if not the world, the crises that we were dealing with, and these all impact the trends: the crisis of health, the crisis of social justice, mm. the crisis of economic um, instability, and how that impacts sport, and then leadership: how the best organizations will lead themselves going forward as a result. Those are all major areas of concern for sports. And you saw so many things, the early decisions in COVID by a conference and how they dialed it back after making adjustments. You saw some more stringent, some more lenient, some institutions, some private public, you know, differences. We we saw it all literally. And then from the economics, those who were well-funded actually were able to really survive. And we saw people even lose jobs. You know, s- people get cut back, services get cut back, certain teams not allowed to come until 
the financials were sort of set right. and come back in the spring and not have a fall season. So those things, and then the impact of social justice, athletes having a platform and a voice and using that, um, not just on race, but on gender and identity mm-hmm. and uh, even economics, as well as regional significance. How do we create more parity? Um, so those are things that I think are happening or have happened in the midst that COVID somewhat exacerbated. Right. <clears throat> Does um, advocacy, resistance, um, you know, I mean, like we're seeing, we saw it. It's just actually unbelievable. What we, I think seeing as a fan or an outsider, what got a guy banned several years ago for life. Mm-hmm. It was basically um, not even a real form of social of advocacy anymore. It was really more maybe resistance and not reaching that level, but it, was, it didn't take a ton of courage necessarily after a certain point, right? This, the pioneer did. What do you, when you're working with athletes, I know you're working with some, this is maybe getting into the college space, some but mm-hmm. individual athletes that are considering athlete advocacy. Is it different now than it was a few years ago? Or is it the same principles? Just I, I think it's era? given certain athletes who wanted to always do something, gives them a bullseye particularly knowing that a female athlete can have as much um, advocacy in the space of equality and pay. And there is a lot more support for that than it's ever been because of the social justice of, of really leveling, leveling economies of scale. So trying to scale up women's salary is an area that some female athletes, even if they don't turn pro in college, have created conversations as to the Title IX and adding that as a big um, area of concern, not only for future athletes, but coaches and creating parity there. I think the impact of um, social issues and race, sport and society have given the athlete now even a way to really strengthen their nonprofit positions. Um we studied a little bit in working in the collegiate space. How do we partner with schools like social work and social justice to give structure? Because so many athletes at that time were crying out, hey, how can I be more helpful? How can I use my platform? So instead of just being um, for the moment, how do we structure you if you really want to do this for the long haul and use your platform to really do good and help future generations? This is how you align with a institution to help you formalize it and structure it so you don't have some of those problems that we hear about athlete nonprofits that aren't structured well. How do they do it and do it well? So I think that improved. I see those um, relationships continuing to help um, collegiate and pro athletes have better long term impact. Um, using their brand and platforms um, in ways that we hadn't seen as much support for. And now we're seeing a lot of support and and we're even seeing uh, athletes give large amounts of dollars towards social justice to make sure that those things are well supported and get done. It's a trend. Interesting uh, there, Kevin. Appreciate the the insights. So curious, one thing you haven't mentioned yet is transition, which is really your your space and how you've kind of cut your your business into your, your business has evolved through this mm-hmm. concept transition, as you mentioned in professional sports prior to COVID. I remember the NBA and NFL was doing a lot bridges success. I mean, transition out of sport, life after sport transition was mm-hmm. seen to be a, a vertical that every league was doing. Every PA was doing. Mm-hmm. 
Has that changed much? I mean, no, what's the status I think it's of transition? In, I think it's just evolving more and more. We're seeing leagues want to develop business um, incubators, creating more ways for players to come together with former players who have done well. We were even some who haven't done as well to talk about the aspect of how do you make a successful transition, even sort of in the sense of a master class type of environment where you're hearing from athletes and it's on demand and they're getting more formalized there. So that's that's an evolution. I think we're seeing leagues set up business mentors that not aren't necessarily former players, but they're successful people who can relate to players and creating frameworks there. Hmm. Um, I understand, too, that there are more and more opportunities for internships. We're seeing that on the pro level that are working in alignment with agencies. So the big agency CAAs or Excels of the world and, and clutch sports are offering ways in which their athletes beyond the leagues can help them with real life practical experiences. We work even with financial institutions to help the pro athlete create a post experience that allows them to create possible ways to create a business so they don't rely so heavily on their basketball or football or whatever income that they're actually working towards creating that income and the financial advisors are part of that right. conversation. So the pro space, not only just the leagues, but all the agencies as well as institutions yeah, are yeah. are supporting that transition right. more and more. And they actually are uh, we're even seeing at a very high level that the private um, wealth and private bank sector, they're even interested in mm -hmm. how do we help these um, groups of sports and entertainment within uh, large banking institutions. How do we help those people, even if they have high levels of wealth, how do we help them transition better? So we're 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 touching a lot mm -hmm. of different mm -hmm. spectrums yeah, there. Yeah, yeah. But all of them are looking to try to improve um, in the service structure because it's so competitive out here. But they also want to help their um, clients have successful transitions. And we're often in those d d discussions on how to innovate that process. Okay. Yeah. So it seems like wraparound is kind of the new expectation, which right. is a good trend to see that it's not just uh, checking a box here. It's actually, you got to check all. Took right. them all in a big and complete the picture, and that's the private sector is getting involved, which yeah. it needed to be. Right? Yeah, I mean, you have you just know why you have all the expertise in house on any of this. Yeah, and and yeah. we're seeing the trend that they're a little more um, at ease working with the smaller, more boutique and more mm -hmm. strategic firms. Like we're sure. trying to be like a McKinsey of sports transition. Right. We're we're focused in that, and they're looking to want to make sure that their client is got best in class. So who can help them while they continue to do what they do, who can help them support this wraparound right. and be more niche than their competitors. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so that's, that's a trend as well. So that was uh, not the case before. It was no, like, no, bring no. in your own team. No. And, and we're you know, seeing that out on the, on the road, but just, it, it seemed more smoke and mirrors to me. And, and five, one, six years ago. Then we're and one that. aspect has really driven some of this, too, is the DEI um, space, meaning more of of institutions and leagues itself, as well as financial institutions and agencies and financial 
excuse me, institutions are all, how do we create a more service driven um, support of diversity and making sure those clients do really well. So we're finding that almost every major agency has an initiative that will support diverse clients. And as you know, sports like football and basketball have high levels of diverse clients, African-American specifically and baseball and Latinx communities. So how do we make sure that person is very successful, not excluding anybody else, but there's been more conversation and more emphasis to create pathways and create initiatives to make sure that that those communities are equally supported and getting as much um, development going. So their post careers are, are successful. Mm-hmm. So we've seen some of that yeah. too. You can see that's interesting. So wrap around, but also vertically integrating like that. It's all connected to transition. It's all life after sports and it's all financial and it's all, I mean, it's all one and the same. So yep. let's segue into where, where there's been a, a significant amount of movement. It had nothing to do with the pandemic <laughs> is the NIL space. It actually had some, a lot to do with the state of Florida. Absolutely. We're, we're sitting today that the, they got out in front of this NIL with the state legislation. Um, you know, and the university of Florida actually had a big part of that. The, the lawyer, the primary lawyer Absolutely. wrote that legislation. Mm-hmm. So JD, he actually taught sport law for us. A couple times in the past, he um, helped and has been doing a lot of work to make sure that the NIL laws. So anyway, we didn't know what to expect. This stuff was coming. All the NCAA had this emergency legislation. And we can almost say it's almost 3.0 by now. I mean, 1.0 is kind of traditional NIL Mm -hmm. sponsorship, advertising, um, brand, you know, influencing and posting, you know, pay for posts. That seemed to what everyone was talking about a year ago. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And now we're seeing these collectives emerge and just a whole, I mean, stuff we had no idea would we'll become this quickly. Anyway, right. Maybe someday, but not in within a year. So obviously that's big. Any, and then I think DEIs has become much more, I know it has just from the college sports programs mm-hmm. that I've worked with become much more of a, a pillar of yeah. a must in the athlete development space. So, but anyway, those two for sure. I'd love to hear your your thoughts on each and what you're seeing from your space, and then maybe any other trends. Sure. I know you're on college campuses frequently with some of yeah. the work you're doing. So, I'd love to hear your. Yeah, I, th- I think the single biggest disruptor, um, major disruptor. When people say in this trendy world, like what's a disruptor in IL? Yeah, probably in our lifetime, Doctor Sigas yeah, will be the biggest change we see in college sports in the last, you know, 60 years mm-hmm. uh, when the NCAA formalized scholarships, you know, back in 1952 and made it very, you know, legal to do that. We are seeing NIL literally overnight change. We were like several years ago going to the House and the Senate uh, as a company saying, look, we see this as a big issue. I was in the chambers with you know, reps saying we need to educate, educate because this thing is going to really take over. And Florida did take the lead and, you know, out in California, they first sort of did it and they had a long runway. Florida was like, no, we're, we're going right at it right now because this can't wait. But what I see with the evolution is, and what I'm not seeing as much is the opportunities are here. They're not for everyone the most elite athletes will get probably the best. Mm-hmm. But what we'll see hopefully is more 
opportunity spread out where institutions be able to spread it out amongst everyone. So we're starting to see that settle down. So right. we're, we're happy for, you know, sports like tennis or golf or, right. or track and field to be able to see some of that um, opportunity come through these things like the collectives that are being established. Once those kind of get a little more formalized, I think we're going to see um, an opportunity for student athletes to receive opportunities to be able to, to receive funding on top of their grant aid that will help them further their institutions. Mm -hmm. What I'm hoping, though, is on the management back end. How are we helping right. educate and manage? I haven't seen that trend emerge yet. Okay. What, what I'd like to see is that because the transition of going from no money to some money from a scholarship standpoint before NIL has been rough for some athletes when they get that scholarship check right. now with scholarship check and NIL. And that's like extra money. How do we help the industry yeah. of yeah. college athletes be better about that? So that's something that we're keeping our eye on. We want that back in where eventually athlete will be asked, you know, how much money did you make? And if you get to a certain threshold, then you become taxable income mm -hmm. and he or she may not be ready or their parents be ready for that. So what does that mean if two years before you graduate or two years after you graduate, you're seeing something impact you because you didn't understand it then. Right. And that could be a very interesting sort of byproduct that could negatively impact what, the good intent of NIL is has yeah, set out to sure. do, we could see some issues there. The DEI space for college athletics, I think uh, we have, as a result of being an organizational transition firm, not just on athletes, but staffing and, and ADs on down, we've been asked by you know schools that are very well-established to come in and, and sort of look at how do we transform and really create importance around the area of race, sport, and society. Athletes came back different post-George Floyd yeah. and wanted to see more equality across the board. Um, and within athletic institutions and sports in general, wanted to see more equality in hiring and more inclusion in hiring and more fairness across gender and 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 um, identity, et cetera. And that's what we focused uh, uh, some of our our opportunities in post COVID trended towards. Can you help us work on the transformation as an organization we need to be in order to understand our responsibility as a future uh, pre preparing for the future around diversity? So we've been very uh instrumental for the last couple of years for a couple institutions to help them manage through that. And what we're seeing is there's been more quality in hiring, right. um, advancement and retention of diverse um, students and staffing and right. more efforts. So in sports that untraditionally didn't do much, we're seeing more emphasis to make sure that student yeah. uh, who is international and from another country is spoken well for adjustments made in the recruitment, in the retention, and making sure they're supported well. Um, and then I think the thing that we're concerned on both parts that I think it's going to be one of the emerging trends is the mental health. Yeah. Um, and I think we, we should make sure that that part, because of the exacerbation of what things like COVID and finances and 
some of the DEI concerns out of social justice, et cetera. All of that has put a, a lot of pressure on people that we've never seen before. Mm -hmm. um, whether you're eight years old or older, we've seen lots of things happen with young people, particularly who are saying this is very real. Mm -hmm. um, and some people really didn't pay as much attention, but we are paying attention to now. And even us as a business, we have decided to do some things that are in the spirit of being more conscious and more intentional in the space of mental health. So I think we're seeing that as a major trend, I think, going forward that okay. we, we want to we really want to see more support. Around. So those big three there, I'd agree all those from my seat as well. The, uh, the NIL makes sense. It's early. We can help athletes. We can hopefully remove some challenges. I mean, you're right. I mean, there could be tax liabilities and contract breach. You know, I mean, they're going to have to teach them contract law and all these things that we need to do a better job for sure. Educating mm -hmm. athletes, educating those support athletes, educating the parents and others and, and protecting them from predators. There's mm -hmm. a lot of crazy people entering the space. A lot Absolutely. of really good people too entering the space. So just helping athletes make good decisions. DE&I, you know, or equity inclusion, just inclusion in general. It's been around finally getting conversations finally, going. Finally, I agree. Finally a real conversation. That's what I, I they, when people ask me, um, what's the one thing you do is talk. You got to talk about it. And finally, right. after George Floyd, I think we started talking. We're continuing to talk. Hope we continue to talk. What's not clear to me, all right, so those are solutions for those. What's a solution for mental health beyond, I know, you know, we're, we're on a college campus here. We have a team of mental health professionals. Athletes have rights to to seek that counseling, mm -hmm. more traditional one-on-one. -on -one. And, you know, it used to be anxiety and stress and maybe relationship issues and I mean, some, some eating disorders and things, mm -hmm. some real serious stuff as well. Um, trauma, dealing with trauma, process trauma. This is a little bit different in the sense yeah. of the mental health of an environment and really a life-changing event. Mm -hmm. Some young people really have no idea yet how much it's changed their life. Sure. But it's going to for years and years. So what is that? I mean, what are the, do, do you see any innovators out there in the space beyond the old traditional model? It's like, oh, go talk to a counselor. Come back when you're fixed. First, I, mean, I think, <laughs> yeah, and, and that's definitely not going to cut it. Um, the younger people are telling us this is very real to them. I think uh, some of the more established long-term professionals need to wake up on that yeah. because it's become a very real thing for them to want to make sure that that is checked in and made sure it's dialed in and everybody knows that it's very important to them. So acceptance, acceptance, acceptance by those who are new to it, those who are saying it and everything in between. The other thing I think has to become institutionalized. So right. as much as we come to school and how we can be very careful on privacy for those who don't want anybody else to know that are having issues, we need to figure out a ways in which to do that. But I think the acceptance part, if we can get to a point where the information doesn't get out, but I would like to see environments where as part of your health checkup, there are certain questions asked around that. And I think we still have to be very careful about how we say it. I'm sure experts much, much more deeper into this than I would agree. How do we do that with dignity and respect for privacy, but also to realize in, in our structure today, there is more acceptance for young people to talk outwardly about it and be okay with yeah. someone else knowing. So I think for us as a business, we're going to begin incorporating how do we have a, a check 
system in place like in our assessment yeah. to go forward and be able to really help someone. And with early signs in between and check-ins and right. even on the back end, are we doing well, how well, or can we put this in your uh, transition program? So there's not maybe a session with me, but there's a session with someone else that mm -hmm. you are comfortable with and it becomes part of how we do the transition yeah. in, through, and out. Right. I believe that will be part of a process. I'm not saying it's the the gold standard or anything, but I think something more um, strategic has to be put in place. Yeah, more and intentional. More systematic. Intentional. Yeah, and much more and more and, uh, and individualized. Right? We're, I mean, we're, we're embarking in a partnership around that as right. a firm. Okay. We have a strategic partner who's well-educated and well-balanced to be able to do that. So we're not going to take that and say, oh, we're, we're coming that, but we're going to work on having a partner who's very capable. We believe in it so much so that we're going to change it as a part of our SOP, standard operating procedure uh, going forward. Good. Good to hear. I mean, hopefully there, I think more athletic departments will. Hopefully it's part of recruiting at some <laughs> point. That's when you start to get the dollars invested when it's a competitive advantage. So I'm going over here because not because of NIL, but because of mental health support, coaching, transition coaching. You know, my dream is always that every college athletic department should have a transition coaching program life after sport just like any pa does it doesn't mean you take advantage of it, it doesn't mean it's it's uh, mandatory but uh, a lot of times in college you're just left for you know mm -hmm. it's over it's over yeah yep. you're still welcome to come around when it's convenient but there's no no more resources when those right. resources collapse it is mm -hmm. in, a, in a time of mental anguish challenge stressors headwinds whatever it might be no resources you got no chance you know? right i mean you're just you're just gonna spiral down so all right pivot to our last um i'd say elite amateur we're coming out of a couple olympics um but even below that mm -hmm. you know, i would say au travel like those those the leagues are somewhat they're elite amateur i have actually not kept pulse up on that mm -hmm. and since covid i know there was a lot of just access and play and mm -hmm. recruiting got destroyed because they gave fifth years to that one year they extended the scholarships the NCAA allowed a one-time exception where you can but not every school could afford all those scholarships sure. so you were a freshman the seniors now coming back for a fifth year and in, in some of these sports these spring sports that year mm -hmm. anyway a lot of just unique nuance there that happened but other other trends beside you know the recruiting space the DEI space the nil space mental health in that space i know you've worked with some aau sure uh, I, tournaments I think and teams and yeah i think what we're gonna see is models like the OTE uh, overtime elite uh, league professionalized high school sports where mm -hmm. athletes at the high school space are able to earn a six figure contract to play in a very elite environment of other high schools who are formalized and they create an ecosystem that begins to use their NIL even at a collegiate at a pre collegiate space. Right. And I think they really have busted the door open for how early this can begin. So even where I have sort of fashioned myself being in the pro athlete, now elite, um, former retired, and now we're doing college. Now we're seeing elite high school as early as 15, 14, 15 being identified mm -hmm. as a legitimate pro prospect and then being formalized in an institution for going two years of high school to begin sort of this dynamic 
junior, senior high school league where you can be paid as well as branded and marketed and socialized to create, you know, a million dollar pre college environment. And it's really, I think, yet to be determined whether other sports we're hearing football, there may be elite football Mm. environment in the high school level where kids uh, leave the high school environment and play elite football um, to, to generate more interest. And we're seeing, you know, younger people because of the impact of social media, be able to garner, you know, contracts um, where they're able to, um, have shoe shoe contracts in high school now that are in the seven figure range. Um, so to me, I think those institutions like AAU that were just known for games and competitive play right. and organized, it's become hyper organized mm-hmm. now where the elite high school level players identified even earlier. And how can we monetize that as being now proven it's in the marketplace Mm -hmm. i think we're just going to see more of that i think where the opportunity for balance in this is not everybody will be elite there are more athletes who won't go that's almost like seven percent of high school student athletes will become college athletes and less than two percent of college athletes will become pro athletes so what do we do with these large Mm -hmm. groups of young people aspiring if we stay in the amateur space here I believe that we can get more kids educated um, through looking at new ways. We've seen virtual learning take to the forefront, almost forced upon us. But now with things like the metaverse and Web3 and Mm 3.0, where the immersion of you in it, I believe, will be part of how athletes will learn, develop, grow. Um, part of where we see the opportunities for us as a firm is how do we help athlete development as a institution really go from sort of alpha to omega or womb to tomb in a sense, A to Z, be better in all of this. We're hearing monetization, financials and everything, but you and I we want a better person right. for post athlete, whether you don't play again after high school or if you don't play after us, uh, a average pro career in NFL 3.5 years, sure. how do we help you be successful next 40 years? And that's the thing that we want to really sort of help at every stage. And we're, we're, we're looking at it, but it's become very interesting. And there's a lot of enterprise opportunities for those young people who are sort of seeking or thinking about how do I impact, you know, we've covered a lot here. There's a lot there to do. Sure. I got you. Okay. Yeah. It seems like if you were saying there, the pro sports have gotten more athlete centered over the last few years or wraparound services. We didn't mention that in AAU. I thought before COVID you were doing some work with AAU around recruiting and mental well-being and emotional health right? you were being brought in as a consultant mm-hmm. out apparently and it's more it's turned more about the money and yeah. it's kind of flipped the word commercial it's more commercialized and there's just more of i think the AU is still opportunity. an opportunity for people to participate and compete in an organized play and diversity of sports they have almost 40 something but i will say that the chance for developing young people in a organized fashion needs to hurry up yeah. because of what's waiting for those who decide to go in college. If you're not prepared for it, 
you may financially have implications that we could ward off with an earlier identification and education system for athletes and their right. parents. Okay. Last question. It seems like it's more of an observation, but I'd like to get your thoughts on it. But it seems like a common thread in all the levels this year in the 2022 update on this. Business seems to be an acumen or a, a competency, an athlete mm-hmm. competency. Mm-hmm. Right? I mean, I know we, we expect coaches to have that competency. We obviously, athlete development specialists can find it if they can't provide it. But athletes need to have a competency. It's almost like you need a, like you said, you need a, a, a course uh, for athletes for business at the youth level where their parents are more involved or others. Um, definitely in college now, you become a business experience, business. It's, it's, it's a must. Um, mm-hmm. And then obviously professional, it's always been kind of an expectation that you're, you're, you're a brand. Mm-hmm. You, are, you are the business. You, know, you are the business. So, um, the Jay-Z quote, right? I'm not a yeah. businessman. I'm a oh, businessman. Yeah. So that's always been now. That seems to be kind of trickling down through the oh, system. Yeah. So, but you, and that's obviously squarely in your space. So you were uh, eight years ago, you were right where you needed to be today coming into that space. Yeah. Road to CEO is all about entrepreneurship and, and running business and owning business. And yeah. It literally, the name um, sort of epitomizes needing to be for being a CEO, whatever it is that you're trying to do, be more organized, be more strategic, be more intentional, forecast, budget. CEOs have an entrance, a through and an exit strategy. That's the way I look at it. And I think young people, although it's very daunting to think that my 15 year old son who is an athlete and wants to either do it in track or football may have to include a regiment of business to really help him be really ready on top of if he wants to study economics or study uh, liberal arts, part of the athlete who really wants to pursue it at a high level will have to pick up business business one-on-one point blank, them and their parents. So I'm actually happy to see it, but I also know that not everybody's good um, at managing so much coming away and, the thing that's most important, you and I know, working at high levels of college and, and pro, that the most important thing, you still have to be very good at what you do mm-hmm. in terms of the athlete focus, high performing, consistent, right. stay healthy. Yeah, none of that's changed. And right. that's no. going <laughs> to be the, the, the standard. So if you can't play, this won't be as critical, but because it's now sort of become more evenly spread where everybody has an opportunity. Part of it will be is on top of educating kids to some degree, can we make sure that they, um, on top of their degrees academically, can we add some formal level, formalized business? That may mean partnering with entrepreneurship departments and things of that nature to help them really, um, be competent and feel confident mm. going into this space because it's going to be there for some and it's going to be much more than anticipated. And for us, we want to be able to sort of be a model partnering with good institutions to help find it. We don't have all the answers. We know that partnerships and people who are very qualified in athlete working with athletes and business and education you have to speak the language. You have to identify what where they're at, not where we're at, right. to be able to have it have the stick to itiveness for them to want to buy in. The whole thing of engagement is still 
a challenge for us and hence the name. So we're going to have to really figure out how do we now create maximum level of engagements in these new spaces that we're in for athletes um, and the institutions. Um, a big challenge will be for institutions once the data, and we haven't really talked about this, Michael, is the data part, like these capturing new segments of success. We're seeing new companies like On3 become very much a aggregator of new data points, new data language and segments in um, athlete um, success in NIL or in business. We're, we're sort of looking at the research side and we created some stuff as well to make sure that this is really captured from a data analytics standpoint mm-hmm. of how do we, for institutions, when this really gets going and it becomes out there, how can the data be used for you and against you? Right. And if it's not done in a way that's done well, it can really hurt you. Right. So now we're going to see whether this is going to to matter for some. It will mean I go here versus there because the data is saying that if you go here, you're going to have a better possible financial outcome because they pay more or they are more successful in having their athletes transition and earn more earnings post leaving that school. On top of the graduation rate, now there will be an NIL sort of success rate, which we're seeing already. Judging coaches on it already. Yeah. Your NIL. It's crazy. So the the data will be. So that's something that didn't come up immediately in our conversation a year ago. It sounds like AI is going to be. What we're talking about is a part of that. As more data is collected, these algorithms are going to start mm-hmm. forecasting and shaping behavior in a big way. And I agree that's we're seeing some hints of that. Mm-hmm. There's still privacy issues a lot there, but there's just so much money now sloshing around. It's just a matter of time before it's it's uh, there's a science behind the art. Right now, it's still very art artistic and but I and think institutions and things, but it's going to become more. But I think the college and university environment is going to play a big part in that and how well it gets done. So I really hope that, you know, university presidents and deans of departments are are looking at this, but also the students who are coming up, where can I begin to make a name for myself? And these are like really important areas for now a young person, if you do a great job, and you're tied to a very good institution, you can make a name for yourself and become someone who gets brought into another institution who's looking to find themselves a lane in this. You could be a part of helping build this industry. So there's a lot of enterprise, in my opinion, um, connecting with a, a good institution who's very intentional about this. If someone's not paying attention, I'm telling you right now, mm-hmm. That's this disruptor of of sports and the enterprise aspect that NIL has brought, diversity has brought, mental health has brought, all these segments are are now and always traditionally, you know, the foundation of education, educating yourself, period, will be the opportunities, will always be there for the person who's really striving to be good at I don't being an athlete or work in the profession of athletes. If you're striving to be good at that, I think you'll have a, have an opportunity in the future. Cause there's a lot out here that we've talked yeah, about today. Sure. Man, it's evolving. 
Interesting. Great. Great conversation, Kevin. Thanks. Very insightful. We'll bring it back a year from now. Yes. We'll, can't wait. Uh, we'll write it'll it down. It'll be a little bit we'll different, write it down. but that won't be a lot different. I mean, <laughs> these things are, their cultural shifts take a while and it's mm-hmm. a culture of the sport industry. But I, I think you're, you're right. You're forecasting some things that are going to be more prevalent in a year and maybe one or two things we haven't even thought of.